0: Welcome to afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're awfully glad to have David Miles still in the studio because our guest, Professor Ken Samples, has not shown up yet. So David, it's awfully nice that you didn't race out of here. Because we still got lots of stuff to cover in the event Ken doesn't show. And if Ken does show, stick around.
1: Well, you Ken's know, an interesting guy. You know, Bill had his hand on that lever, you know, that old acme, <laughs> you know, Warner Brothers, you know, Bugs Bunny pull the lever and yeah. check the seat out. So
0: so I'm you know, almost feeling a little, you know, trigger happy over there. It feels that way. <laughs> and Ken, Ken and I were going to have a very interesting discussion about the hiddenness of God. And so I do hope he shows up. Um, So he is, I think he is going to be coming out of the program, which I'm looking forward to. And David, you're so welcome to hang for a while, as long as you can. Uh, it's awfully nice to have you on board whenever. And uh, is Ken available? Terrific. Ken Samples is... Super is our guest. He's a professor and theologian. And for a couple of minutes, you had me kind of sweaty, Ken.
2: Well, I'm so glad to be with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my previous guest, Pastor David Miles, didn't run out on me, so he's still in the studio as well. So say hi to David.
2: Hello there. Greetings. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. You
0: know, before we jump into the topic of the day, Ken, I'd like to throw out a passage that we were kind of talking about right before... Oh, You came on the program, and it was right out of the final chapter of Matthew. In verse 16, it says, So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Are you thinking that some of the eleven disciples doubted?
2: Well, uh, looking at the passage, I mean, that that. That could be. I mean, these were these were men who, who who saw many extraordinary things, and yet they are like us. They are uh, human beings with limitations and boundaries and weaknesses and proclivities to sin. I, you know, I'll tell you from one point of view. What really fascinates me about that passage is, in other places in Scripture, some of the Some of the pagan people see miracles that Paul and Barnabas did, and they want to worship them. And the apostles say, no, no, don't do that. But Jesus seems to readily accept this worship as if it's natural for him to be worshiped as God in human flesh.
0: And David, you had an interesting comment about that. Can you repeat that? I'm trying to remember what it was. About authority is given to them.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, Jesus' next word is, "All authority is given to me on heaven and earth," and uh, he says, "Go make disciples." Um, you know, so even the idea that some were going, worshiping, and you had some who were actually going along, still kind of in this, you know, maybe late adapter of, "I'm not exactly sure." Like, okay, you you are moving, you are talking, you are. <laughs> last I saw, you were on a cross, dead, and you know, and and God continues to. Reveal himself and and the truth of who he is, and sometimes like with some things where we where we teach things or we model things, and in it we begin to understand it more deeply, so he still gave the command to all of them to go do the great commission, even in the midst of that some were worshiping and some were
0: doubting hmm. well, Ken, I love our topic for today, and we're going to discuss the hiddenness of God, and it's oftentimes an, an, obj- an objection to believing in God and so maybe we can start off, Ken, if you would explain what skeptics mean when they say God is hidden.
2: Yeah, Bill, it's interesting. I was uh, listening to a lecture by a by a leading uh, atheist, a man named Schellenberg. He is a philosopher from Canada, and he says that uh, in his mind, the best argument against God, that is... That would be then affirming that no God exists, or in particular, the Christian God does not exist. He said that in his mind, this problem of hiddenness is a bigger problem than the problem of pain, suffering, and evil. So I thought, wow, that's uh, that's saying a lot. If I could summarize it, I would put it this way, Bill. Um there are There are people like Schellenberg and other secular people who say, "Look, if God is all powerful and God is unsurpassingly loving, totally benevolent, then he would want to reveal himself to each and every person, and if that person is not resisting then then they should become Christian so the argument is that uh, it appears there's a sender problem there are people who in the atheist mind, are not resisting God, and yet they still have reason to doubt. And they and the atheist would argue that wouldn't be possible if a God was all powerful and unsurpassingly loving.
0: Hmm. And you have more thoughts about that? I would imagine.
2: I do. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I want to hear them. A, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, well, let let me begin by saying, Bill, that. When I look with scripture, um, it seems to me that God has liberally revealed himself. I mean, uh, let's think about some scriptural passages. Um, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display wisdom. Romans 1, God has revealed himself in the nature of creation, Romans 2, he's revealed himself in our conscience. Paul says people see, understand, and know that there's a God. Uh, the Old Testament says that God has revealed himself in the history of the of Israel. Uh, John 1 and many other places says that God has revealed himself in the incarnation of the person of Christ. And then finally, Scripture says, uh, 2 Timothy 3 that uh, God has revealed Himself in Scripture. And so, it's hard for me to understand how God could be hidden from a Christian point of view, because God is revealed in nature, He's revealed in conscience, He's revealed in the history of Israel, He's revealed in the person of Christ, and He's revealed in Scripture. So, I would then propose that there's not a sender problem, there's a receiver problem. And I think that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 1, that, that all of us, in our, in our innermost, in our fundamental belief forming, in our heart, uh, we, we see, understand, and know, but we resist. Now, there are atheists who say, hey, I'm not resisting, but God just doesn't reveal himself to me. Scripture says the natural tendency on the part of the fallen person, apart from grace is to resist God, and I would say that I think there are plenty of people that are resisting God and they may not even know it. I mean, maybe the most diabolical feature of sin is it blinds us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, have you ever had the experience where you're you you you're around your friends, your Christian uh, buddies, and you can see, hey, you know, I can see he's got this problem, he's got that problem, but you're oblivious to your own that that's i think at the heart of of this issue that uh there is a a deep resistance in in the heart of human beings
0: so well said ken and i so appreciate all the scriptural support of that i can't wait to go back through that with my bible open and take notes uh, because clearly god has made himself known and it is clear that man has a rebellious nature and is naturally going to be uh, reluctant to receiving the good news, unless the Holy Spirit opens up a heart.
2: That's exactly right. I mean, the religions of Judaism and Christianity, they are revelatory religions. Uh, That fundamentally means the God of Judaism and Christianity is a God that reveals himself. And uh, given our fallenness, given our original sin, God God must speak to us. Uh and the, and then the need is because we are resisting.
0: So, Ken, how would that impact the hiddenness issue if if Christianity and Judaism are revelatory faiths? How would that impact the hiddenness part? Maybe you've well, already answered it. <laughs> well,
2: in 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 one sense, I think that there is a there is one way in which God is hidden. For example, Isaiah 45 talks about a God who, the God of Israel who hides himself, but I think that's different. I I think we're talking about two kinds of hiddenness. With the atheist, I think the atheist is essentially saying, I don't see the evidence. There's an insufficiency of evidence. There is a sender problem. But as a Christian, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have, there have been times where God seems silent, where God seems kind of absent. And then I have to reflect on my own life. Uh, You can't come to God on your terms. You have to come to God on his terms. I may need confession. I may need repentance. Or, Bill, it's also possible because we're limited, because we're finite, we we can't get our mind around God. And so there are times where God may appear distant because he's infinite and we're finite. But the great promise is God is never absent. So, God is
0: Yeah. I'm sorry can I interrupt it? I apologize.
2: God is closer to me than my best friend. God is closer to me than my spouse. God is God is with me at all times. But there are times as a finite creature and in a broken world, God may seem absent or silent. But I think that's two different types of hiddenness. One is a lack of evidence, allegedly. The other is maybe uh, our relationship or our finitude.
0: Ken, I was just thinking of Isaiah 55, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Could that be uh, construed as hiddenness?
2: I think so. Um, I I think we have to be aware that um, everything about God is mysterious, and because we're not we're not talking about we're talking about God after all we're talking about a God who is who is infinite he has all wisdom all knowledge he's everywhere present he's all powerful uh God is depending on how you define time he is either beyond time or transcends time and uh so i think when when the scripture says that his ways or his being we have to realize that we are dealing with an infinite God, and uh, now in the next life, uh, Scripture indicates we'll see face to face. We'll we'll have a, we'll have a more intimate awareness of God. Now, I still don't think that will mean we'll understand the members of the Trinity as they understand themselves, but I'm hoping we'll understand a lot more and and be able to uh, embrace some of these these mysteries. But it's interesting, Bill, that there are atheists who say this may be their fundamental reason for rejecting God.
0: Mm, That's so interesting, Ken. Let me take a short break. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. And when we come back, I'll give him a more proper introduction because I didn't at the top of the show. We'll be right back. Kenneth Richard Samples is my guest. He is at Reasons to Believe. He's a senior research scholar. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. He's written a number of books, including God Among Sages, Christian Endgame, Seven Truths That Changed the World, A World of Difference, and Without a Doubt. He also leads up the Straight Thinking podcast and also writes Reflections. It's a weekly blog. So you can head over to reasons.org and learn more about Ken. So during the break, Ken, David had a thought, and I'm going to let him air it out. David, brother, go ahead.
1: Well, we were, we were chatting a little bit about, and Ken, thank you for everything that you, you've shared up uh, thus far, um, about just the whole issue of unbelief and, and the important part of remembering in uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, uh, Paul talks about, in this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the idea is that we don't proclaim ourselves, but we we proclaim christ and you know a lot of times we want we will lock in on on, on logic and that's important because god's orderly, um, but also the need for prayer to be at work in the human heart um, in people and, and in Colossians four uh, Paul would pray that pray for me, you know that a door would open for the gospel that people people will hear it because there's times where people you know they, they are honestly seeking, and, and sometimes, um, you know, even with the answer, they might not be interested. Um, we had a brilliant young man in my church in Ohio, um, and, you know, he, he had decided that um, in interaction with his girlfriend that he was kind of done, and uh, one day he asked me a question in a park, and, and I asked him, I, I kind of said, so what's the question behind the question? You know, and he paused for a little bit, and then he smiled at me, and he said, "Well, I guess my question is, how can I live life the way I want to live it, <laughs> and still that, you know, God gives me heaven?" Yeah, and that that was that his that was his 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 question behind the question. So, um, so it's still very much a, a God on my terms type of thing. Yeah, I I completely agree.
2: I think that. You know, we look at uh, Romans one and two. It seems that that suppression has to do with a moral and spiritual condition, not not merely an intellectual issue. Um, and and therefore, back to that uh, coming to coming to God on His terms rather than our own. I, I think what what is also interesting, however, the, the passage in Second Corinthians. Um, you know, there, C.S. Lewis had a, a line in the Screw Tape letters where he said that demons applaud two things equally: those who ignore their existence and those who have an unhealthy interest in their existence. Yeah. And I, I think clearly, what we see in the demonic is it's it's always deception, and um, if it's merely an intellectual process of coming to God there's going to be a lot of things that are going to interfere with that. And I I really love what Blaise Pascal said about this. He said that coming to God is, we we come at the level of the heart. And um, again, I think there are good intellectual reasons for believing in God. In fact, in my article, I talk about, there are 100 to 150 arguments that scholars of one discipline or another actually take seriously that they believe point to God. But it's never merely a purely or merely intellectual process. There is a moral and spiritual condition of our own hearts that we have to deal with.
0: Ken, I would love for you—this is probably a good time to ask this question—how does Scripture explain a person's disbelief in God? Yeah, I I
2: think quite clearly when we look at uh, when we look at what Paul the apostle writes in Romans one and two, I think that it is a a moral and spiritual obtuseness. Now, I, that's not an attack upon the character of the non-Christian. Scripture kind of gives us inside baseball, telling us that the natural predisposition of people who are fallen. Uh, is to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And interestingly, in the Greek, when it talks about suppression, it gives the picture of like a a pedal that you push down. I don't want to be accountable to God. I don't want to entertain God or be accountable to him. So I press it down. But if I take my foot back off, it pops back up. And so um, unbelief, which is... uh, you know, sin is described in many ways in Scripture. The Greek word is hamritia, uh, to miss the mark. Uh, it also means to break the commandments. Um, but again, it implies that there is a a moral and spiritual obtuseness. And uh, you can see evidence for God, but again, the heart has to be opened. And of course, there are In the history of Christianity, there is a lot of debate in different theological circles about, does God woo you, or does God actually have to open your heart? And it gets into many issues relating to the freedom of the human will and the sovereignty of God. But I would say, to directly answer your question, uh, sin is the rebelt of human resistance and and that's the very thing that Schellenberg says doesn't happen there are people that are there they're not resisting but god just hasn't done his job so maybe god doesn't exist hmm. but that's so i i just can't see how that's how that can be held to account for scripture where it says that god has liberally revealed himself
0: well let me ask this then what role do arguments for God's existence play in, in this issue?
2: That's a great question. Uh, and, I, and and being a, a Christian apologist and having studied apologetics, and the word apo- apologetics comes right out of the New Testament. Uh, apologia or apologia is the Greek word, and it, it means to give a reasoned defense. And we see Paul um, do this in various ways. I mean, in the book of Acts, he, he has a habit of going into the synagogue and reasoning with the Jewish people f- from the scriptures. Um, in Acts 17, he's well aware of uh, Gentile philosophy because he quotes some of their own prophets about God being the creator and humans being accountable. Uh, so what is the role um, well, we're not we're not saved by arguments, we're not saved by reason, we're saved by grace through faith, but God's Spirit can and does use arguments to open our heart. I mean, yesterday was Easter. I think there are very good reasons to believe that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus actually in time and space rose from the dead, and I would look at evidence like the empty tomb, I would look at his postmortem appearances. I would look at the transformation of the apostles uh I would look at the emergence of the church. so there are historical evidences and facts that support it so uh you know I don't want to over intellectualize the process, but God's grace can use reasons now here's my story in a nutshell. I don't think I came to God because of a reason. I think I came to God out of need. Mm. I was a young college student. We'd had a catastrophe in our family. My my older brother had taken his life after a long process with drugs, uh, drug addiction, incarceration, mental health problems. And I was searching. I mean, I was really searching because I was hurting.
0: Oh, Ken, I'm so, so sorry. I would love to hear this story in its fullness, but I'm going to need to ask you to hold on until after our, our break. We're up against a break that we can do nothing about. So let me take a short break. Ken Samples is my guest, he's a philosopher and theologian. We'll be right back. I love this job <laughs> i'm so glad to have Ken Samples as my guest today, and Pastor David Miles has continued to stay here in the studio and keep us company. Thank you so much David and We are talking about the common objection to believing in God often is known as the hiddenness of God. People are wondering why is God so hidden, and people object to God because of that, but we're talking with Ken samples who's a philosopher and theologian from reasons to believe is a senior scholar there go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. Uh Ken I'm sorry I kind of had to cut you off at the height of a beautiful story you were sharing so if you can hit the reset button I'd love it.
2: Yes when I was uh, when I was young I was raised uh in what I would call kind of a nominal Roman Catholic family and never doubted God. I remember I remember, as a four-year-old, my mother told me that I told her that when I was at church, I felt God was looking over my shoulder. And uh, yet, because of various issues, um, my parents stopped going to church. And uh, so I, you know, I if you would have if you would have tried to argue with me about Jesus, I would have uh, argued with you because I believed in God and I believed in Jesus, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. And I, I struggled to try to live even nominal Christian values. So when I was 19, 20 years old, uh, our family just had a catastrophe. My, my older brother, who was a sweet, wonderful young man, um, had lots of depression and anxiety, tried to self-medicate through drugs, and the wheels came off. Uh, Was incarcerated, and maybe the worst place to be for a person who has mental health problems is, you know, in jail or in a penitentiary. But my brother took his life, and uh, I felt survivor guilt. I, I just thought, why couldn't, you know, I couldn't even help my own brother. And uh, my sister had become a Christian. She gave me a book by C. S. Lewis, *Mere Christianity* and i just devoured it and i was stunned that christians could think carefully and reason carefully and uh when i heard the gospel i did not respond directly out of an argument i went from need i i just intuitively knew that i was a sinner in need of the grace of jesus and i'd already my my heart had already been kind of primed by my own religious training But the interesting thing, uh, Bill, is this, that immediately apologetics came to bear because a Jehovah's Witness knocked on my front door. And he told me that the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. It doesn't teach the divinity of Christ. uh, There is no hell. And I thought, wow, this is not the Jesus of historic Christianity. And of course, I was studying philosophy at the university, And, uh, you know, I I was challenged there. Well, what about the problem of evil? So immediately, I admit, I came to Christ out of spiritual and moral need. I knew that I was broken and fallen. I had broken the commandments of God. I needed God. And I wanted Christ. And I wanted his forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to, to live inside me. And yet, immediately, I was challenged about my faith, and so God, uh, God's grace is what saves us, and it is through faith, but reason is a necessary part of that because there are many challenges that people have, and uh, you know, truth is something Christians hold sacred, and therefore reason is a critical tool in helping us to stay
0: on track. Mm-hmm. So, can we go back to this common objection about the hiddenness of God. So, can this question be framed as a, a sender or receiver failure?
2: Yeah, I really think that uh, the more I've thought about this, I, again, I've written three articles on my Reflections blog, and i i I've been trying to think about a way of kind of framing this so that it could be very clear to both a non-Christian and a Christian audience, and I, I think that from a from a biblical theistic point of view, we would say that hiddenness is a catastrophic receiver failure. God's liber- liberally revealed Himself in the heavens, in the nature of creation, in the human conscience, in the incarnation of Christ, in the history of Israel, in Scripture itself. But the catastrophic failure is that there is a receiver who is suppressing the truth. And so this is, again, a moral and spiritual obtuseness. So from a theistic, Christian, biblical theistic point of view, it's a catastrophic receiver failure. But the atheist turns it around and says, no, it's a catastrophic sender failure. Because again, after all, John L. Schellenberg would say in his book, Divine Hiddenness and Human Reason, he says, look, if God is all-powerful and God is loving, then God wants to introduce himself. And yet there are, they claim, many people who are not resisting God, and yet they retain good reason for not believing in God. And so they can put it into a, a syllogism you know there are people who are capable of relating personally to God, but who throw no fault of their own fail to believe two if there is a person uh, if there isn't a personal God who is unsurpassingly great, then there would be no such person so conclusion, there is no such God now again um I don't buy that, and I don't buy it for a number of reasons uh. First of all, because I believe in divine revelation and I believe that God has freely and liberally revealed himself, but also because I'm a philosopher, uh, I have been reading philosophical arguments for the existence of God and philosophical arguments for the non-existence of God for about 40 years, and I can tell you that there are 100 to 150 arguments that various people—philosophers, scientists, sociologists, artists, various disciplines—who take arguments for God very seriously. So it's difficult for me to draw the conclusion, or accept Schellenberg's idea, that there's a that there's an evidence problem. Uh, rather, here's an insight I think from Pascal. He says this, he says, willing to appear openly to those who seek him with their heart and to be hidden from those who flee from him with all their heart, God so regulates the knowledge of himself that he has given indications of himself which are visible to those who seek him and not to those who do not seek him. There is enough light for those who see, who only desire to see, and enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. I think that's a very insightful point of view. Now, remember, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. If God were to reveal himself in, let's say, an overt way, he would coerce people to believe. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, Scripture talks about uh, the devils. They know that God exists, but just knowing that God exists... Does not guarantee that you're going to love and revere and worship and submit your life to him and and so Pascal says again, Blaise Pascal, this remarkable scientist physicist uh ph- philosopher of mathematics philosopher of uh of probability theory and an inventor invents a a calculating machine in the 1600s that people like Bill Gates have said, this was the first step toward a computer. Here here is Pascal saying, maybe God modulates himself in such a way that there is plenty of light if you seek him, but there's obscurity if you don't seek him. Now, Now, again, we have to factor in that grace issue, but I think Pascal's assessment strikes me as... Not only compatible with scripture, but compatible with my own heart
0: that 's really interesting, Ken really handled that well. I appreciate that, Ken. And...
1: I was wondering if this has kind of a similar vein to second Corinthians two when it would talk about to some ear the aroma of of life and some the aroma of death, and as paul 's writing to people who understood kind of the the whole processional parade of returning. Um, soldiers, and they would bring the vanquished foe with them. And as they as they would march down, it was similar to the you know the Rose, Rose Bowl parade. And so for one smelling these flowers, this rich scent for the returning heroes, the ones who conquer, they knew that that was the the smell of of celebration of success. But for the for the defeated foe, uh, it was the smell of death because they knew they were going to the Colosseum. So you have the same scent, you have the same presentation. But two different interpretations of the presentation.
2: I, I like that a lot. I often use the comparison. It's da it's Pastor David, right?
1: Yes, sir. Or David's uh,
2: Da David, um there is a discussion. Um Saint Augustine said that um you know God is always there and he took great comfort in that. He's he's there when you're depressed, he's there when you're lonely, he, he's there when you're despairing and closer to you again than a lover, than a friend, than a brother. Christopher Hitchens turned it around and said, you know, if God exists, it's like living in North Korea. He's always invading your privacy. He's always butting in. He's telling you, you have to do this, you have to do that. I thought, wow, it all depends on the human heart. It all depends on the condition. I think it's very similar to the passage you've mentioned that Uh, whether it's something we are receptive to or rejecting of depends on the human heart.
0: Nice comment, David and Ken. I appreciate what you just said as well. So I want to ask you about an atheist philosopher that talked about non-resistant non-belief. I don't even know what that means. And I'm a C student.
2: Yeah, well, you're you're a bright bulb, and uh, <laughs> you uh, you do a remarkable job in your program. Cause, Thanks, Ken. And I, I can tell because of the listeners' comments that they make, but let me get to Schellenberg. This is John Schellenberg. Again, this is a, a leading scholar of atheism who thinks that the hiddenness of God is a bigger problem than the problem of evil, which is... Quite a statement, because I personally, having studied philosophy for about 40 years, I would say the problem of evil is the preeminent challenge to people of faith. But let me, let me try to explain this non-resistant non-belief. He's again getting back to this issue that if there really is a God who loves everybody, and if this God wants to introduce himself to everybody, then... Everybody who has an open heart, everybody who is not resisting him should know him. And yet the assumption, I think, on Schellenberg's point is that people can be in a position where they're not resisting. And here I would would kind of try to drill down a little bit into the sinful condition. I mean, if you think of the Christian worldview as a series of events, God creates— Uh, God allows the fall, God redeems, and then there is this consummation. If we focus in on the fall, uh, the fall really represents the idea that uh, we do resist God. Um, Or put it this way, the sinful condition means that we're never neutral, objective observers. The will has been taken captive by our fallenness, and i I think what Schellenberg is reasoning, and again, I think he gets part of it right, and misses other part, the part I think he gets right is that God is indeed all-powerful, he has these omni qualities, and he is right that God is omni benevolent, God is good, uh, and God desires to reveal himself but the conclusion that he draws is that there are people that are neutral there are people that uh, are objectively open and yet they remain uh they remain unbelievers non-resistant unbelief is the way he uses it and he says if the, the god of the bible did exist there wouldn't be people like that all people would would know god again i come back though and say the human condition is if, uh, to quote pascal we are we we are an, an enigma of greatness and wretchedness our greatness human exceptionalism humans do math they do science we can put a rover on mars uh, human beings have all of these remarkable capacities that that distinguishes us in kind not just in degree from the animals and yet we're fallen. I don't think you need the devil to account for the Holocaust. I think it's all in the human heart. And I think Schellenberg doesn't see he doesn't see the biblical perspective that all human beings, none of us are neutral, all of us are fallen, and none of us can be saved apart from the grace of God.
0: All right, Ken, let me take a little break. And when I come back, I've got questions like, what about when Christians feel God is absent or silent? Professor and theologian philosopher Ken Samples is my guest. Go to reasons.org, learn more about Ken. Pastor David Miles has continued to join me here in the studio out of his kindness of his heart. We'll be right back. That's the walk-up song for Ken Samples, the theologian and philosopher. So glad he's on the program today. We're talking about the hiddenness of God as an objection for why some people don't want to believe. But let me shift to this, Ken. What about when Christians feel God is absent or silent?
2: Yeah, very important. And, and the first thing I want to say is, so I think that we're dealing with a second type of hiddenness. Maybe we can call it... Uh, that God, is, God seems absent, or he seems distant. It's not an evidentiary problem. It's not an objection to the existence of God. But Christians do experience this. Uh, I have experienced, um, I think of um, C.S. Lewis's book, where he describes his grief, uh, a grief observed when his wife Joy died. He He says that, he describes it as if the Lord shut the door, and nothing he could say or do could, could open that door. I think that many of us, maybe all of us, can say there are times where, wow, um, Isaiah 45, 15, truly you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Savior of Israel. Well, again, I would introduce ideas if you're undergoing something like that, Uh you may want to think about uh our you know, us approaching God with a humble and contrite heart. You may want to recognize that uh our sin can put barriers before God. Uh I love the prayer in my own church. Lord, I've sinned against you in my heart, my thought, mine and deed, and what I've done, what I've what I've failed to do. So it could be that this absence of God, or that God feels far away, it could be that there is a need for repentance or humility. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I'll admit to, to myself uh, I can easily intellectualize things, and and humility is a slippery virtue. When you think you've got it, you're proud, you're you're so virtuous, or more virtuous than somebody else. I think we can look at that and say, look, I want to come to God on my own terms. I want to be open uh, because because I have to be transparent with God. Nothing is hidden before God. I might try to hide it from my my friends. I may try to hide it from my spouse. I may even try to hide it from myself, but I can't hide my inner life from God. He sees everything. So it could be that there is a humility. I need repentance. And yet I would also come back to this idea that everything about God is is mysterious because God is infinite. He is eternal. On the other hand, human beings are finite, limited, we have boundaries. I, I think I think even sometimes the tension that we have with people who are different from us relates to our, our limited nature. Put me in a room with all extroverts, I'm going to be in the corner feeling uncomfortable. Mm. Put me in a room with all women, and I'm probably going to be feeling uncomfortable. Um, and that doesn't mean that I dislike extroverts or I dislike women, but I have a limitation, My my own experience. It could be that God seems distant or God seems absent because as creatures we can never completely get our mind around God. But of course I love what James one twelve says. James says Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, God is a father. I mean, that's the fundamental difference between the triune God of Christianity, th- this, is, this is a God who has love in himself. God doesn't have to create to get love. God's not a single solitary person who has to create humans and angels to get love. God's love in himself. And even when God seems absent, he promises that our Father, our Abba Father promises he'll take care of
0: us. Can mm-hmm. if a person is a skeptic, but is open to God's existence. What should they do? Yeah, I
2: really like that, I, I, and I really appreciate that. Um, what I want to tell people that if I, I want to, I want to give them the advice that that Jesus gave. Uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter seven and ch- verses seven and eight, he says, "This: Ask, and it will be given to you." seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. You know, if you have doubts about God, um, I understand that. Um, everybody has, and any person who thinks deeply about any serious issue is going to have doubt. But I want to encourage somebody out there that maybe they, they're they not sure there's a God, or maybe they're not sure that the Bible is accurate. I would simply invite them to, to seek the Lord, to, to do as what Pascal said, uh, seek him with all your heart. And I did that, and the Lord revealed himself to me. And uh, so I want to encourage people out there who may be struggling uh, with faith. Maybe faith is hard for them, but I'll give you the same advice Jesus did. If if you seek for God with all of your heart, he will reveal himself to you.
0: What a powerful reminder. I just appreciate that so much, Ken. I know there's been a, a lot of listeners today who have been stirred by this conversation, and I know there's just about everyone listening has a friend who's a skeptic, and they yeah. keep coming at you with all these objections and this is just more quivers for our um, arrows for our quiver when it comes to being uh, strong in our apologetics in having discussions with people that have objections to believing in God.
2: you know, I was talking to a guy a couple years ago it was Thanksgiving Day, and we were online. And uh, I wanted to get away from it because I wanted to spend time with my family. Uh, But he kept asking questions, so I kept coming back to it. And I finally asked him, it. it had a long discussion. And I said, you know, you tell me that God doesn't exist, but you spent the last two hours with me spending time talking about God that you say doesn't exist. I said, is it possible that deep down inside your heart you know there is a god or is it also possible that that god isn't isn't going to let go of you and you know it that i wouldn't just walk up to somebody cold and say that but i'd had this lengthy discussion back and forth in and out and so finally i felt like i know you enough i can ask you this question Is it possible? You know, if God really doesn't exist, why are you wasting your time debating Ken Samples about God's (laughs) existence? I just go out and enjoy life. You know, go to a ball game and have fun, and uh, and yet, of course, the interesting thing is that Scripture gives us an inside track to what happens in the human heart. Yeah,
0: Ken, such a delight having you on the show. Thank you so much. I always look forward to my first Monday of the month because I know it's going to be Ken Samples. So I hope you had a wonderful Easter, and thank you so much for being on the program. And I'll talk to you next month.
2: Thank you, Bill, and pleasure to meet
1: you, David.
0: Nice to meet you too, Ken. Thank you for all you shared. And David, thank you for sticking around, hanging out in the studio with me. I've loved it. Thanks for having me, guys. That wraps up our show for the day. Hey, guess what? Tomorrow we're starting our spring share, and you're going to hear me say things like 877-933-2484 about 600 times. So that's something to look forward to. But thank you uh, for being generous and supporting Faith Radio. I just, uh, nuts about you. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.